Amen. That's good. You can be seated. Remember that it is the power of Christ. That is the gospel. If you remember from Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the gospel is the very power of Christ that can transform somebody's life. And here we are singing about how we should stand in Christ's power today. And again, we're going to talk about the gospel. Is anybody ready for the gospel? All right. All right. Hey, Israel people, we're glad you're back. Did you guys have a wonderful trip? Sounds like we need to do it again, is all I'm saying. And I'm going to go next time, so let that be said out loud. You know what I'm saying? All right. Through faith, by grace. Somebody say, through faith, by grace today. (laughs) Uh, This is an important fact. This is an important uh, benchmark of our faith. So uh, I, I want to talk about the ancient city of Rome today, just, just for a moment, and give a little history. I'm a history guy. It's my major in, in college. It's, it's what I uh, love to study, love to look at. That might make me boring or whatever. In fact, it's why I don't like the History Channel anymore, because it's not history. You know what I'm saying? It's like Axemen and other, chan- other shows, Deadliest Catch. Is that even on? I don't know if it's on. It doesn't matter. But it's not even like history anymore. You have to go to other channels to get history. But either way, Rome was the greatest city in the western world at this point uh like really really the crossroads of all places in fact all roads led to all roads led to rome it was the capital of the world at least the western world at this moment and it's the seat of 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 power in the empire so naturally it's a large city naturally it is a large place and it's teeming with different races with different wealth with different backgrounds I mean, any, any marker of a person that you could think would be different, that's what you're going to see in the city of Rome. And the churches of Rome were no different. They were no different. They, they were not a homogenous group of people because the city wasn't that way. It wasn't like they were just this certain sect of people that were allowed to be Christians or whatever. Anybody could come to know Jesus. And so there were many, many different nations, many, many different wealths. In fact, there were slaves in churches. I mean, imagine that for a moment. There, there was someone who who even would walk into church as a slave and, and receive status and would receive service from somebody else. In fact, the church was one of the great uh, places where people could find identity beyond just their station in life. So Rome has all these different people all over the place in these different churches all over it because, again, it's, it, I think when we think of these letters that are being written, we're thinking it's one church that Paul wrote to. And that's just not correct. Paul wrote to the Roman churches. There's many churches that this letter would have been read to. And so among these different churches, you've got a lot of different people and backgrounds. Now you have to remember that the Jews were banned from Rome about five to six years before the writing of this letter. In in around AD 49 or so, Emperor Claudius banned the Jews from Rome. They were sent out. They were no longer allowed to be a part of Rome. In fact, they they went all over. And I told you the first week that that's how Paul ends up meeting several of his great ministry companions, two of them markedly so, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. They were a part of this Roman church. But after Roman uh, Emperor Claudius dies, uh, they are allowed back into Rome. Okay, and so what ends up happening to these churches is now you have a swell of Jewish Christians that are coming back to their churches that they were a part of, or maybe they're going to a church that, or maybe their church is dissolved when they left, and now they're going back to a specific Gentile church, and you can imagine that this might create some rub. This might create some tension back and forth, and it did, because the Jews thought there was a certain way that you should come to know Jesus. They thought there was a certain way that you should come to follow Jesus and be in complete surrender to him. Specifically, the Jews practiced dietary laws. You can eat, you can't eat, whatever. Uh, we don't have time to go into all that. But, but, but they practiced dietary laws, and they also practiced circumcision. They also practiced and observed specific days like the Sabbath. And the Gentiles did none of these things. The Gentiles weren't trapped by any of, this, any of these things, and they didn't like the pressure that was being applied to them by the Jews that had come back. And so there were some arguments in the early church. <gasps> Can you imagine people having differing opinions? I can't even believe it. Even in the early church, guys. Even in the early church. And this is why this is encouraging to us today and why I kind of gasp and am a little bit silly about it is because even today, even now, there are people who have differing opinions and that's okay. The point is not the opinion. The point is Jesus. Thank you. I got one amen on that. That's, that's, that's the point, guys. It, the point is, is Jesus and not all these disagreements that people have, but the reality is that there will be disagreements and there is no perfect place. There is no perfect church because if there were, the moment I walk into it, 
it's no longer perfect. And you guys all amened on me there. Okay. <laughs> all right. So this is why Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, or at least another one of the reasons why he wrote his letter to the Romans, is that he wants to give them the simplest, the purest form of the gospel. His, his purpose is to unify these believers around really the message that matters. There's really a message that matters to these believers, and it's not all of these dietary restrictions or whether you should do this thing or that thing or not this thing or not this thing. The point is Jesus, okay? And so Paul is going to spend a lot of time talking about specific Jewish things. So if you read this week from the uh, uh, Romans uh, website and you were doing, going through the Bible study on CBC dot family slash Romans, if you're doing that along with us, you're going to have seen all throughout this chapter that it's really about one guy, Abraham. Um, he's an ancient Jewish guy. He's really the father of the Jews, actually. Uh, and, and so why would Paul write to a, a Gentile church or a largely Gentile church talking about specific Jewish things? Well, it's because there was a need for the Jews to unhitch themselves from the things that were not necessary in their religious activity. He, he, he wants to unhitch them from the unnecessary stuff and stick to Jesus instead. And so it's why, it's this, it's why this whole chapter will talk about Abraham and about specific Jewish things. And I want you to hang out here because this is really important. A lot of your New Testament deals with these specific questions. And so if we can understand even one portion of it, we're going to be able to understand the rest of the New Testament. A lot, a lot, I'm telling you, a lot of the New Testament deals specifically with the Jewish people because they were the chosen people from the Old Testament. And so then when we get to Jesus, now thankfully the Gentiles are allowed in, but we still have to deal with all the trappings of and all the traditions of what we came from. Does that make sense? A lot of us in our own faith walks have to do some of that, don't we? We have to deal with some of the traditions that we used to hold and some of the things that we used to think were really important, but now we know Jesus more, and so we're going to follow him rather than all of these traditions. So that's why Paul's spending so much time in these specific things. I want to pick it up in Romans chapter 3, verses 28 through 30, to frame the chapter. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You need to underline that phrase. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This is really, really important for us. Verse 29. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Did you guys catch how they get made right? Faith. It's through faith. Now, Paul wants us to grasp. He wants us to grasp and hold unity around this idea that faith is what links us closer than any tie. In fact, what God is setting up is a brand new family, a brand new people. So you can come from a family that may not know Jesus, but you've got a church family that knows him. And that tie that you have between faith is actually going to be a stronger tie, or it should be a stronger tie, because of Jesus' sacrifice for each one of us. And so we need to see that coming to God, having our righteousness declared by God, only happens through faith by grace. And this confession is important for us today. He'll go on to prove that God is not only the God of the Jews, but also the God of the Gentiles. Let's look at Romans 4, 1 through 3. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, huh, he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now there's this beautiful story that occurs in Genesis chapter 15, and that's what Paul is quoting here at the end of 4, verse 3. Paul's referring back to a really important benchmark in Abraham's faith walk. Now, God had already promised Abraham that he would be a great nation in Genesis chapter 12. In fact, he told Abraham that you will be a great nation that will bless all other nations. This is his first promise that Abraham receives. Abraham believes, and this is a big deal, that a pagan who worshipped all other gods was spoken to by the one God, was made a promise, and then by faith walked out in that promise. So then in, verse, sorry, in chapter 12, we see that that God is trying to use Abraham in a very specific way. He's trying to use his physical descendants to bring about a blessing not only to his family and not only to his nation, 
but to all nations. We know, because of the New Testament, that Jesus was the blessing that came to all nations. Now, instead of it only being Jews who are allowed to know God, or the Jews who only have the words of God, now all people can know God through faith in Jesus. Thank you, guys. Through faith in Jesus. And so we know that this promise eventually comes true, but there had been some time that had passed between the promise of Genesis 12 to Genesis 15. So we read our Bibles in about two and a half minutes, and we think that's what it looked like. That's not the case. When you read your Bible, Abraham receives a promise, and many, many years pass by. Many, many years while Abraham sits and waits and wonders, how is this going to happen? How is it that I will become a great nation? I don't even have kids yet. Abraham has a wife, Sarah. And in fact, the scripture, uh, I think Paul's being a little funny here. Uh, in scripture, uh, in fact, in chapter 4, Paul will say that Abraham was as good as dead. That's how old he was. Abraham was as good as dead. And so Abraham's sitting there after his promise that he receives in Genesis chapter 12, and he's thinking to my, himself, self, you're very old. How are you going to have a kid? My wife, who's a beautiful, wonderful flower, is, is also old as well. Okay? He would never say that out loud. You know what I'm saying? But he's thinking that in his mind. I don't know how she's going to have kids. She's old. <laughs> he, he shouldn't say that out loud. But, but here he is, doubting. He's, having, he's struggling maybe with some doubt, trying to wrestle with this promise of God that he's not yet seeing in his life. So God comes back and does what God does. He affirms his promise to Abraham, even though the promise that he initially gave was sure and good. But I love that God comes back to Abraham again, because this is really how God operates with us. He continually communicates with us. But in Genesis 15, 5 through 6, this is what God says, or how the story goes. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then God said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. Now, here's the benchmark verse that Paul quotes in, chapter, in verse 6. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it. The Lord counted it to him as righteousness. You should highlight or underline those, that verse as well in verse 6. This is a really important text. It's, it's, it's an important piece because it sets up the rest of this chapter 4, and, and our, it confirms that it is only through faith by grace. And we're going to flesh this out a little bit today. So Paul is quoting this, this specific verse, shows us that Abraham didn't do anything to earn God's promise. Abraham is not the active agent in this story. He's not the one that's seeking God out, trying to find him, whatever. God is the one coming to him instead and is making promises. Abraham doesn't do anything at all. Really, it models to us how we should operate. See, the proper response to God making a promise in our life or the proper response for God offering Jesus in our life, we could say grace, is the response of faith. Somebody say faith. See, we want to think that that's the best part of the story, that Abraham responds and God, God credits him as righteous because of Abraham's response. And we think, oh, Abraham was so cool. And in fact, this is what the Jews thought. Abraham was so cool. We love Abraham. But see, they're missing the best part of the story, which is that God responds back to Abraham again. This is the best part of the story. Not that Abraham responded to God. No, see, that was the proper thing to do. But God doesn't have to go any further now. But he does. And that's the big deal, is that God responds then again by crediting Abraham as righteous. Well, why should this matter for us today? Well, the Jews incorrectly believe that Abraham did something that obligated God to respond to his actions. See, the Jews thought that Abraham, because of his faith, then put God in debt. That's kind of a strange position to hold. That, that God would be obligated to work because of man's actions. Paul is going to argue against this idea all throughout chapter 4, and this is really important for us to grasp today. I'm going to get ahead of myself. We're going to get there. But, but God responds by crediting Abraham, and it's not because Abraham did something that created this obligation for God to respond. This is what Paul's going to say in Romans 4, 4 through 5. Now to the one who works, his, wage, sorry, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
Paul is saying that when you work, you get what you work for. That's not tough. That's not tough to understand. You get what you work for. Getting what's owed you is not a gift. Did you know that? Getting what's owed you is not a gift. You, you just, it's just owed you. This, this is just a transaction, back and forth. But see, that's the point that Paul is trying to make about Abraham. Abraham received a gift from God, not his just due. So let's read on in verse 5. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. See, Paul's point is that faith is the only response that correctly matches God's free gift. If you deserved God's free gift, then it wouldn't be grace. There would be no need for a response on your behalf because God owes you a debt because of your awesomeness or because of your, I don't know. Or really, if you want to take it further, what are you even placing your faith in if there's not a gift that's first offered? Does that make sense? If there's not a promise first given, then what are you even placing your faith in? So the Jews erroneously held this idea that I, have put, I can put God in my pocket, essentially. I can put him in debt to me by my good actions. I'm going to model the actions of Abraham. I'm going to do so many good things and become a righteous person so that God will have to bless me because he's obligated to do so. That is how the Jews viewed this passage. And Paul is flipping it on, his, on its head to say this is not the truth. Because what you've done in that moment, where you, think what, where you think when you place your faith in something, that's then God has to do it back to you, you've become God, actually. So Abraham's response is pure trust in the promise of God. And that trust is the proper response which lined up Abraham with God's character and conduct. If you want to write in your journal, character and conduct. This is, a, this, is, this, is, this is at the heart of a response of faith. Faith lines us up with God's character and his conduct. See, God can work with that person. God, God will work with the person who is lined up with his character and conduct. And I think God will continue to operate this way. He is pleased to grant righteousness to those who respond to his free and lavish gift of Jesus' forgiveness of your sins. Faith recognizes that only God can save you. Faith doesn't obligate God because you didn't do anything to place faith in. God did something for you, and now you just realize the truth. You guys catch what I'm trying to say? That prompts God's response back to you, but it doesn't force or obligate. He is delighted to do so. He is delighted to credit you with righteousness apart from works. See, that apart from works part is so important for us to grasp. We live on this side of the Reformation, and we've heard over and over and over again, through faith, by grace. Through faith, by grace. We've heard that phrase a hundred times I, in Sunday school, you were taught this, whether the Sunday school teacher knew they were teaching you Reformation theology or not, they were. Through faith, by grace. This is an important staple. It is the staple of the Reformation, actually, is that you don't have to do anything to earn God's favor. You can't. You couldn't. And if you could, then you'd be God. Instead, it is by grace that God offers you a gift that you then place your faith and trust in. See, the Jews didn't live on this side of the Reformation. They don't have this understanding yet. And so they need to have their thinking adjusted around what Paul would say later in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own what? That's right. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is an important thing for us to grasp. And he, he wants the Roman believers to be unified around this idea that it is faith, not specific Jewish observances, not a code of righteousness that you have to follow. It is only by faith, a recognition that I get God's gift by trusting in the promise that he'll give it. Romans 4, 9 through 10, will then pose a question for us. Okay, well, is this blessing then only for the circumcised? or also for the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted by Abraham 
as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it counted before or after he had been circumcised? Now the Jews would boil down all of their faith system, their faith walk, the law, into one observance, and it would be circumcision. Okay, We don't have to go into all that today, but I just want you to see what's happening here in this text. Paul is setting up the Jews or the Gentiles. The Jews were circumcised, the Gentiles were not. And so he's posing the question, who can come to God? Is it the Jews, or is it the Gentiles, or do you have to become a Jew, or how does this all work? Did Abraham come to righteousness before or after? And Paul gives an answer, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. See, this was the physical sign that Abraham and his descendants were a part of God's chosen people. It was an important symbol for the Jews. See, they believed that the Gentiles needed to submit to this observance in order to completely be following Jesus. In effect, you have to become a Jew first before you can know Jesus fully. And if you don't know him fully, or if you don't do these things fully, then you can't know him fully. Does that make sense? It's why any church that says you have to do these things apart from the gospel is wrong. Period. The gospel is the only thing. And a response to Jesus through faith is the only thing. The Reformation told us it is through faith, by grace, alone. Alone. There is nothing. It is apart from works. And so he'll, he'll go on to say that circumcision is not necessary for the righteousness that Abraham had already received. Romans 4.11 says this, And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe. Of all who believe. This is the point. Faith alone by grace alone. Somebody say it again. Faith alone by grace alone. This is important. Paul rounds out the reality of faith alone by grace alone in Romans 4, 16 through 17. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace. Take your highlighter, your pen, your incense, splash it on this page right here. This is the spot. In order that the promise may rest on grace. You need to highlight, circle, underline, rewrite it four times to the side. I don't care. However you need to remember it, this is the important part, is that it rests on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law. You can bracket adherent of the law. That would be Jew adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. In in bracket, shares the faith of Abraham, you can just put anyone above that, or Gentiles if you want to be more specific. doesn't matter whether you're an adherent of the law or one who shares the faith of Abraham is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we love. This is the God that we profess as one who can call things into existence though they did not exist before. He can offer you grace and he can call into existence your life in him, your brand new spiritual life, your rebirth through the faith that you would profess by grace alone. So why is this such a big deal? (laughs) You don't have to meet any criterion before God to get to him. That's why. You don't have to do a whole bunch of religious observances. You don't have to come to a hundred church services, get your gold star, and then you can become a Christian. It's not how it works. You don't have to do something to come to God because the reality is that he came to you. He came to you. Uh, Romans, I think it's 5.8, said, but while you were yet still sinners. Wow while you were yet still sinners. Not, not when you were so righteous and did all the things that Abraham did. No. But even what Abraham did was in a response to God. And that's Paul's point here, is that you don't have to do anything. God comes to you. Your right standing before God doesn't have to do with your race, with your political affiliation, with your gender, with your intelligence with how many church services you go to, with how many churchy traditions that you hold to, or even your good behavior. It is only through faith alone, by grace alone. Somebody say it again. Through faith alone, by grace alone. 
Paul wanted the believers of Rome to be convinced of it, and I want us to be convinced of it. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's what gets us right with God. And Paul wants the Jews to understand this because they had it incorrect. And because they had gotten that idea incorrect, they walked incorrectly. Does that make sense? If we can get our thoughts around Jesus correct first, then it will order our steps to follow him correctly next. This is important. This is important that we get the right idea about God in our head and how he would operate back towards us. It's not that we obligate him to us, but rather we are obligated to him out of love and a desire to serve because by grace he has offered Jesus to us only. We have to do is give faith. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. We don't have to follow dietary laws and Sabbaths and circumcision and all of these things to know Jesus. We just have to place our trust in him. Now, if your outward morality or viewpoints don't grant you access to God, but only faith by grace, then there's really nothing left to achieve. And so instead, we get to live out of grace. Somebody say, out of grace. Not that you're out of it, but you're launching from it. If I can get into my mind and into my heart that I've been given a gift by God, even when I was far away from him, And that I don't do anything to earn this gift. He just gives it to me. And all I have to do is respond in faith. Man, that that propels me. That propels me in love to want to serve him. I'm not entitled then. I can't be entitled. If it is a gift, and since there is no entitlement within the church or within the members of the church, there can also be no isms. There can be no racism There can be no sexism, there can be no classism, there can be no ageism, or any other isms that you could think of. The church is a family linked to Abraham by way of faith to Jesus. This is important. You and I are children, not because we forced God. By the way, parents, did any of your children force you to have them? No. I mean, it's preposterous. We are children only by God's own prerogative only by his care and love for us. And so because he sought us out, because he offers us Jesus and then makes us right, man, our response from faith becomes living out of that grace. We get to serve him. We get to know people of our faith community. We get to go out and share the good news. And because there is no one who has higher status in the church, in fact, Jesus would say this, if you want status in the church, uh, it's not the person who will be served. It's the person who will serve. That's how the kingdom works. I'm going to flip it all on its head. You see, the world operates this way. If you want to be honored, you better put everybody below you and smush everybody down. See, Jesus says, no, the, the, really the way the world ought to work and the way that it should work is that the one who should be honored or the one who is honored is the one who serves the most and with the best heart. See, the mark of someone who gets it the mark of someone who understands how to live out of grace is, is someone who serves, period. So youth ministry, I'm just kidding, I'm not doing that. Um, but, but we should live out of grace, I'm just, I'm totally kidding. Out of grace, though, we should be serving our neighbor, we should be serving our coworker. we should be serving our family, we should be serving our kids. Nobody is beneath us because there is no status once we know Jesus. Everybody is important. Everybody is valuable. Everyone is loved because grace is provided to all people. Now, the rest of chapter 4 will echo the beginning. But there's a really important verse I want us to to see in Romans 4.20. No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. If you wanted a a definition of faith, here it is in verse 21. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You can underline that and just put equal sign faith over to the side. That's what this is. Now, I love this. It's not as though Abraham didn't have doubts or moments of anxiety as he questioned everything. Have you ever just like, in a quiet moment, been like, my whole life's a mess? (laughs) You you know what I'm saying? Whether it's true or not, you, you probably identify with that moment. And you question every decision you've ever made. Should I, have, should I have done this or this or this or this? We all have moments like this. And of course, Abraham questioned everything as well. It's not as though he didn't go back and forth in his mind about whether he really heard from God. Did I really hear from him? Am I crazy? 
I'm as good as dead. How am I actually going to have kids? This is wild. Okay? It's not as though he didn't go back and forth and have doubts. He did, and you and I do. And listen, God is not scared of doubt. And we shouldn't be either. It's not a disqualifier to faith. Doubt, questions, hard to understand things that we try to grasp at and know, that doesn't, that doesn't phase God. It doesn't disqualify our faith. I don't think that makes you a bad Christian. In fact, I think it makes you pretty normal, in my opinion. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we're all just normal and that we're all... I don't have to be exceptional to be right with God. I just have to be me. And God's okay with that because he loves just me. Somebody just said, somebody, okay, someone needed to hear that today, and someone needs to say, just me. Mm, that's good. That's what God wants. He wants just you. He just wants you. And so for Abraham, those doubts only fueled his trust in God more. See, time and again, God would prove himself to Abraham. We, we see in Genesis 12, the first promise, but then years later, we see another promise. And then again, we see in chapter 17 in Genesis. And then again, in chapter 22, in Ge- we see time and time again, God coming and communicating to Abraham, and he fulfills his promise to Abraham. Eventually, they have a child named Isaac, even though they're as good as dead. They have a child. It's quite a miracle. See, God proved himself. And through, through the communication with God, through the living out of his faith, his faith grew stronger, but not only in the sight of evidence, but in the conviction of experience. Have you ever experienced the Lord in a real way? Whether it's through worship or, or through someone saying something to you or a, a moment of prayer or as you've read your, your Bible, all of a sudden like something leaped out at you and like grabs your heart. See, our, our, our faith is not only intellectual, guys. It is an experience that we get to walk with Jesus. It is an experience. It is lived and it is felt as well. And so through the conviction of experience, that's why we talk about our testimony all the time. Nobody can tell you you're a liar. I mean, they could, but then they'd just be rude. Okay? The conviction of your experience coupled with the evidence of God is enough for us to place our faith in him. It is lived and it is felt as well. And I find this so comforting in my own personal walk with Christ. I'm allowed to have moments. I'm allowed to have questions. I'm allowed to have doubts. And through it all, God remains faithful to me. When I am faithless, he is faithful. Because remember, I didn't obligate God to anything. He came to me first. He extended himself to me. God remains faithful to me. Some of you need to write this down today. God remains faithful to me. And then in my own walk, I see glimpses of him working in my life. I think if God gave me the whole picture of my life, I wouldn't want to do it. I think many of you could probably agree with that. That's why we can't time travel. Okay? Plus, it doesn't make any sense. Me and Jeremy had a heated debate about Avengers. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to go into it. But if you knew the whole thing, you wouldn't want to do it. And it wouldn't work. It wouldn't make sense to you. So what God does, instead of giving you the whole picture, the whole ladder, he gives you a rung at a time. And he gives you a little glimpse of him working in your life. And he gives you a glimpse of him working in other people's lives to stir up your faith all over again. Not only the evidence-based portion of faith, but also the feelings of it. The conviction of experience. Because listen, your, your faith walk will not be this linear line of growth forever and up. Amen? It's going to be a lot more squiggly. And all over the place. I know it is for me. There's days where I'm on fire for the Lord, and there's days where I'm so far from him, it's silly. And I, I probably am speaking to somebody in here today that our faith walk will be all over the place. It will be undulating. It will be changing. Whatever word you want to use, it's going to be all over. It's going to be messy because you're messy. And that's okay. God remains faithful all the same. And the more that we walk with the Lord, the more that we'll be convinced and will not waver from this from this great grace that we live out of. It's through these experiences, again, that I just want to point us back to this really important idea that God responds. God responds to you and I. God responds to us. While he doesn't respond in obligation because my work forces him to, he does respond to me in gladness and in love. Now, I don't want you to get too formulaic here because that's what the Jews did. They, they boiled down God into a formula, and that's not quite how it works. God does what he wants to do. He's not a formula to crack. He'll do as he sees fit. There are sometimes there are things that you pray for that he does not answer uh, with a yes. 
He answers with a no sometimes. So, so don't get too formulaic here. That's not what I'm trying to say. But, but what I am trying to say is that there is a truth that God responds to those who would by faith respond to him. This is true all over scripture. That God responds to people. And it punctuates this beauty to me that the, the God of the universe, the one who created, the one who spoke, and out of nothing everything came, would listen to my measly little prayer. And he would offer measly little me, Jesus. And he would offer a life of purpose, of mission, of advancement of his very own kingdom with me as a partner. Like, I couldn't even find my keys this morning. And God's going to allow me to work with him on mission for him to advance the kingdom. This is crazy. He sees fit to work with me because, not because I'm so good, but because I correctly responded to the grace that he had offered me through faith. That's all it takes. But see, this is why prayer matters. Prayer isn't only us lining up with God's will. It is also us asking him, what's next? Listen, he'll respond to you in ways that you'll understand if you'll ask him to. And if you'll pray with a true sense of, God, what would you say to me? I'm listening. I want to hear. I want to see. I want to know. He will respond because he responded to Abraham. And God of Abraham is the same God of you and I. He's not changing. And he's not going anywhere. He will respond to you if you'll respond to him. I love that. God honors those that would honor him. So maybe you're in here today. And you need to respond to Jesus. You've, maybe you've been in here for the past couple of weeks and you've heard the gospel message, which is, that, which is that Jesus died on the cross, was buried for three days, and then rose again from the dead because he lived a perfect and sinless life. Death could not hold him or keep him. He was seen by over 500 witnesses. People all over saw this guy. He was raised from the dead. We can believe in this truth. And guess what? He offers you a chance to know God, to be right with God, to have a relationship with God, if you'll just put your faith and trust in him. Maybe you need to respond to this message of grace today. Maybe you need to have Jesus transform your life and forgive your sins. We'll pray in a few moments. What Romans 4.17 says, God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is, this is God. He will make you new. He will change you from what you were into something that you can be. Does that make sense? And even where you are, so let's say you're a believer in here this morning. Even where you are, you're, you're like, I want to become this person or I want to do this thing. Listen, if you'll trust in God and have faith in him, then he will call things that did not exist as though they do. By faith, we can walk in God's promises, moving forward, knowing that there's a beautiful and full life to be had in each and every moment as we partner with the Holy Spirit and partner with God. Maybe, maybe uh, many of us are in here praying today as if God doesn't respond to us and as if, as if all that we get to do in prayer is just talk uh, to a wall who then bounces back at us our own reflections, our own thoughts, our own ideas. That's not what happens. God responds to you and I. Some of us need to pray with this idea in mind, asking for risk and relationship for those people that we wrote down on week one. Remember those people that you wrote down in your, your journal for week one? Maybe you weren't here. I'll tell you what that is. There's people in your life that are in your relational circles that you could impact, that you could have uh, conversations with, that you could build relationships with, that you could sh- potentially share your faith with. Have you been praying for those people? Have you been praying as if God will respond to you in a way that you can understand, hear, and then know what to do next? Or have you just been praying because you know you're supposed to? Some of us need to begin to pray as if God responds to us. Some of us need to take steps in those relationships. God is already speaking to us, and we're just ignoring him. God has already told me what to do, and I'm ignoring him. And I, I know that many of us live in that, in that spot. But again, God remains faithful to you and me. This is not a guilt moment. It's just a moment where we can assess where we are and where we ought to be and begin to make moves towards that. Does that make sense?
So maybe some of us need to be faithful to the things that we know we should be faithful to. Maybe some of us in here needed to hear that doubt is okay. And maybe we needed to hear that it's okay to wrestle with and ask good questions and be in a relationship with someone who knows about Jesus well. Maybe you're not a discipleship group. Maybe you need to talk to Pastor Jeremy to the welcome desk this morning and you need to go and, and, and be a part of a group of believers who will encourage you mutually to grow in your faith. I don't know what your steps are. Whether it's an action step for relationship or something you need to format to be right with Jesus this week or whether it's the way that you're thinking about God. He's just a sterile idea up in heaven that doesn't respond to my prayer or isn't a part of my life in any way. Maybe you need to begin to change that thought. Maybe you need to begin to change the idea that I, get, I have to do stuff for God in order for him to like me. No, you don't. It's through faith alone, by grace alone. You don't have to work. You don't have to do anything. You just have to be you, and God loves you. I don't know what it is. I don't know what your steps are this morning, but I know that there's something that God is calling us into because he calls things that do not exist as though they do, and he has things in your life that you have not yet seen, but he has. He has a promise for you and a purpose for you. I promise you he does. I promise you he does. So we're going to pray in a moment, and we're going to seek out what God would have for us in these next steps. We're going to pray, and if you haven't put your faith in Jesus as your personal Savior, you're going to have a chance here in a minute. If you need to come join this church after we pray, that's the moment. We're going to do a little song. Um, not, actually, we're not going to do a song today. I lied. Jeremy's going to play for a moment, and then after the end of the playing, he's going to give me a little nod. I'm giving you the inside, insider track right now. He's going to give me a little nod. Y'all can look for it. And then I'm going to come back up, and we're going to do the graduation thing. But during that time, you can come down if you'd like to be a part of our church. We would love you to be a part of our church. Listen, I'm going to say it again. This church preaches the gospel, and you need to be a part of a church that preaches the gospel. Just period. So come and be a part of us. Come be a part of a growing community that not only preaches the gospel, but wants to then go out of this place and share it with others. Amen. We want to grow in our faith to the point that we're able to share it. Okay? So come be a part of this church. Come be a part of what we're doing here at Cornerstone. Get in the discipleship group. All right? Let's pray for a few moments. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you respond to us. God, I'm asking for your response in our lives. I'm asking that you would give us action steps, that you would give us a change of mind, a change of heart, that you would purpose us towards what you would have for us rather than what we have for us. Father, help us to, to realize that it is only by faith that we come to you, and it's only because you've offered us Jesus. It's only because you've come to us Help us this week to marvel at the wonder and the beauty of this grace that you've given us. Help us to live out of that grace. Help us to order our steps. Help us to order our mind, our hearts, our thoughts, our actions, our reactions, and our thoughts all around you and around what you have told us to do and to be, which is the light of the world. A city on a hill. Salt. We are supposed to be the ones who go and share, the ones who go and impact our neighborhoods and our people. May we be great relationship makers this week. May we seek out what it is that you would have for us in those relationships. Maybe it's a risk that we need to take. Maybe there's somebody we need to communicate with that we haven't yet. Maybe there's some text messages we need to send out this week. Maybe some new relations or, or old relationships that we need to pick back up. Whatever it might be, Father. Walk us towards those steps. Holy Spirit, be with us and show us as you respond to us this week. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I'm going to pray. The words aren't important. It's what you believe in your heart. Would you pray like this? Dear God, thank you for seeing me, for knowing me personally, and for even caring about me in the first place to want to respond to me. I know that I have not done everything correctly in my life. I have hurt people. I've hurt myself. I've not obeyed all of your commands, but I, I know that Jesus can forgive all of that and that he did forgive all that on the cross and through his resurrection. Would you forgive my sins today, Lord? Help me to live for you. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for responding to me. Thank you for knowing me putting me in a right relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that way, would you come up to the front and let us know this morning? Let's stand. Let's stand this morning. The stairs are open. 
your seat obviously is open. Spend some moments in prayer as we as we close out our service. pastor to come back y'all <laughs> it's not jeremy it's me <laughs> okay i want to um uh, i want to show you guys some some very important people this morning uh we've got our graduates uh our, our seniors who have just recently graduated or maybe one week away from graduating some of us or some who are graduating today right this evening yeah wow um and so we want to honor them we want to show them off to you in the back you've probably seen the really okay so i i sent them like a picture of what I wanted, and they like so exceeded my expectations of what I wanted in the back. They did amazing. So go by and check their tables out. Go by and say hello to them. Give them a hug. I mean, listen, if you got a 20 in your wallet, I'm just saying, you can come and give them a little, you know, a little sneaky handshake, put it in their hand. You know what I'm saying? They would be fine with that. I promise you they would be okay with that if you felt so inclined. Also, remember that you need to fill out at the end of this, uh, fill out their little book, write one of your favorite memories, favorite verse, or your name. Just let them know that you love them and are in support of them. I want to tell you about these guys, though, before we get to that moment. So let me have Caitlin Bahart come on up. Yeah. Since the time she could hold a crayon in her hand, her talent for art, and especially drawing, was evident. Caitlin's creativity has always amazed those around her, and her artwork has received several awards in local and district competitions. She has achieved numerous academic honors and awards throughout her school years and will be graduating from Harvest Christian Academy tonight with a Distinguished Honors Diploma. She'll be attending Dallas Baptist University. Get your guns up. That's where I graduated from, by the way in the fall, and will major in elementary education because she wants to impact the lives of the next generation. All right. Her favorite verse is 2 Timothy 2.22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with these who are called on the Lord for, from a pure heart. Caitlin Bahart. Let's, let's applaud for her. Next up is Jessica Hines. Oh, yeah, we have gifts for these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, stay up here. Stay up here with me, guys. Stay up here. I lied. I lied earlier if I told you the wrong... No, no, come up here with us. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Caitlin. Okay. Jessica Hines graduated or graduates from Harvest Christian Academy, where she attended for 10 years. She was involved in National Honor Society in volleyball. She finished high school with a 4.0 GPA and graduated with a Distinguished Honors Diploma. She also was awarded with the Distinguished Christian Student Award. Jessica will be attending Tarleton State University in the fall and will major in business. Her favorite verse is Psalm 73:26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and portion forever. Jessica Hines. Woo! Next up is Braden Houston. <laughs> Braden Keith Houston graduates, uh, graduated last night, actually, from Keller Central High School. Uh, he was accepted into Dallas Baptist University and plans to attend in the fall. He received the Christian Service Award, Patriot Award, and the Christian Leadership Scholarships, giving him a grand total of around $32,000 in scholarships. Wow. He will be pursuing a degree in business management and entrepreneurship 
and he is planning on opening his own business after he graduates. His favorite verse is Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will. Braden Houston. Finally, we have Blake Peters. His full name is Stephen Blake Peters II, but he goes by Blake. He's always been funny, friendly, eager to help, smart, and with a good spirit and soul. During his school years, he played football, did auto mechanics, and rode bulls and rodeos. He likes being outdoors, hunting, fishing, working on his trucks, or sitting around a campfire with friends and family. Blake will graduate from L.D. Bell High School on June 1st, and he will be going to West Texas A&M University in Canyon, Texas, and he's going to pursue his degree in animal science. He would like to start his own cattle company or manage a ranch when he graduates. His favorite verse is Psalms 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Blake Peters. Um, if you're a family member, uh, f- sorry, first let's snag a picture real quick. Let's do a real quick picture. We'll do a little smile. Scooch, scooch, scooch in. Yeah. Cool. If you're a family member, would you guys come on up, surround these people first, surround your student. You might want to spread out just a little bit, students, just a hair. Spread out just a little bit. Let your families come over here and put their hands on you, give you hugs and loves. If you are someone who loves one of these students, come on up next. If you're someone who loves one of these students, you come on up, put your hand on them. We're going to pray over these people in a moment. I know there's many youth leaders and there's many people in the church who have watched these people grow up, many of them. And I know that, that you guys have an investment and a stake in what these students go on to do. I know they're going to be wonderfully successful in their lives. So let's pray for God's blessing over them. All right. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for these students. I thank you for each one. They've been such a blessing in my and Rachel's lives. They are, uh, they are some of my favorite people. And I know that they're going to go out and do wonderful things in the world. I pray for your blessing to reign upon them. That wherever they go, Father, they would speak life. That they would honor you in everything that they do and say. That in every situation they can turn around and know that they followed you all the way. Father, I'm praying that their steps would be guided by you. That they would look to you for any decision. That they would consult the, the, the wise people in their lives, like their family and their spiritual guides. I pray that they would be linked up to a church and that they would know and grow in a community of faith together with others. I'm praying, Father, that they, as they leave here, would go out knowing their mission, which is to make disciples who make disciples. We send them with our blessing as we know that you'll be with them. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.